0: Welcome to the Fireside Giants podcast by Empire Sports Media. How's it going, Giants fans? Welcome back to Fireside Giants with my co-host here, Anthony Rivado, and a special guest today, Big Game Bengal. If you haven't you. checked out his channel, go make sure to check that out, Bengal YouTube obviously one of the biggest madden youtubers on the platform and he's done a great job and makes some absolutely elite content have him you know tell us a little bit about it because i'm curious i know anthony's watched him for a long time um but i i you know madden i used to play like when when mike vick was on the cover like way back in the day when like <laughs> you could enjoy it without just like all the like you know there was gonna be bullshit but now it's just like a lot of bullshit that happens that you can't control um I know there was a big like user data thing that just happened recently right
1: yeah there was like 60 percent of uh franchise files were just destroyed their nice way of tying it in a bow is like oh but we can save 40% without a <laughs> yeah but you're losing over half so yeah they they had this thing where they're like oh yeah we fixed this issue feel free to log in to your franchises everything will be good and then the next day they're like oh sorry we lost over half of them they're gone forever so that's
0: ridiculous but so ask you this when you're making a Madden video, does it take you, like, a long
1: time? I figure it takes you hours and hours to make these videos, right? I mean, some of them I'm recording for as much as 12 to 14 hours, like some of Damn. my real long video. Well, some of them that I upload are, like, three hours long, you know, every once in a while. But, I mean, the regular, like, Giants franchise episode takes me, you know, an hour to an hour and a half to record. Nothing too bad. And then maybe an hour to edit, and then it's up. But some of them take a lot longer. Some of them are shorter like that.
0: Yeah. Well, those long videos, I know people absolutely love them and going through, you know, the last couple of years with the Giants, anything that was like imaginary and anything that was just crazy to build and success, even on a Madden platform was a way of escapism for us. (laughs) So I kind of feel like people definitely caught on uh, with with the Giants Madden content. But now we have a reason to be excited in real life, which is kind of dope because – we got, got a postseason game coming up on Sunday at 4.30 against the Minnesota Vikings. You know, we got a lot of our healthy guys um, resting the starters. I mean, you look at what the Chargers did, and they were in the same scenario, had no implication for their seating, and evidently had a couple guys go down. And, you know, the Giants are sitting here fully healthy, hopefully getting Midori um, Jackson back, got Xavier McKinney. And I'm pretty excited about what this team can do against a Minnesota Vikings team that seems beatable. I mean, we lost, what, a 61-yard field goal, just classic Giants shit. We only lose on 50-plus-yard field goal attempts. So... You know, when you're looking at this postseason game, um, I'll ask you, um, you know, Bengal, you know, when you when you look at the Vikings, how do you think we can beat this team? And what's the kind of the catalyst for the Giants?
1: Well, obviously, it, it was a really close game a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I got flashbacks to the Jake Elliott long field goal years ago. I'm sure you guys remember that one versus the Eagles. But the Vikings are an extremely beatable team. I talked about this in a video where their one score game success is not sustainable we saw it with the Raiders last year and this year of course you know expectations were high and we've seen what they've been this year which is a mixed bag for the Vikings they're a good team by NFL standards right but they're they've gotten too lucky it's simply not sustainable to win 11 one score games in a row you just you can't do it so I think In the playoffs, we're finally going to see that go a different way. It's so difficult for a team to beat the same team twice in the same year. I like the Giants for that reason. We know they can go head-to-head. The Vikings are simply a team that is either right in the game with anybody, whether it's a team that has won three or four games, or a team that's won seven or eight. If they play an actual true team, we've seen them get blown out. So I like the Giants' chances. I'm not saying it's a definite win, obviously, but I think if you're going into this game as a Giants fan, like we all are, uh, yeah, you like your chances because you you know you're going to be in the game.
2: Yeah, I checked out your recent video predicting the 2023 playoffs, and I saw that you had Chiefs versus Niners in the big game. Yeah, realistically, game. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that would be a nice rematch, you know, but third string quarterback, I think the Chiefs end up blowing them out on that one. So how realistically, how far do you think the Giants can make it out of the NFC when you've got Big dogs like the 49ers, like the Eagles this season. How far can the Giants really go in your eyes?
1: You know, as, as a fan, you know, showing bias here, I suppose, mm-hmm. I think you actually like the Giants' chances of potentially going far. I had them out in the uh, second round in the divisional, but that's not to say that they are automatically eliminated. In that, that bracket, what do we have here? The Giants would be facing, is it the... Eagles, I want to say. Yeah, I think they're facing the two seed, or the the one seed. After I guess it kind of depends what happens. I think it depends Um, on what
2: happens with the seventh seed. But in all likelihood, if the Giants were to win this week, they would probably be playing the Eagles. Okay, so
1: both these teams, the Eagles and the Niners, which is I I guess what we can we can guess the Giants would face. Obviously, the Niners would have to get best past the Seahawks. We'll see what happens with Tom Brady and the Bucks. But all of these teams have flaws. The 49ers, I think, were uh, the second best on paper. They're the two seed. They're playing with, you know, Brock Purdy, who's played great. But you got to remember, he's a rookie. Uh, they've got a great offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan. But mistakes can happen, and they don't really have much beyond Brock Purdy. What if he gets injured? Then you're mm-hmm. on an emergency quarterback. Is it, is it Josh Johnson up to this point? I think it might be. Um, so, I, I mean, a lot of these teams seem beatable. The Eagles, the Giants have seen a bunch. I think the Eagles are probably just better at this point. I mean, you guys know the Eagles have had the Giants number for like the past decade. It's been brutal to watch. Yeah, But, uh, you yeah, know, I, I like the Giants' chances of beating pretty much any team in here uh, with the exception maybe being the Eagles are just too good top to bottom. It's just a better roster. It'd be like, you know, Georgia versus TCU last night. Okay. One team is just better. It, it just doesn't doesn't really matter too much at
2: this point. I hate to say it, but I think you guys well, probably agree at some point. When you look at the week 18 matchup between the Giants and Eagles, obviously the Giants rested the majority of their starters. Eagles were pretty conservative, probably feeling like they had it in the bag no matter what and didn't want to risk any injury to Jalen Hurts. But the Giants kind of competed in that game, right? Like they hung in there. They only lost by six points. And the third stringers kind of did a good job. So do you think maybe there's a chance that the Eagles are a little bit fraudulent here and maybe the Giants are starting to figure out that blueprint as they get closer to the postseason and potentially facing them down the road? I think there. I think there's a chance for
1: sure. I mean, the Giants had their second team defense in, and they were they were playing well. They kept them in the game. I, I think the Giants' offense was obviously. I mean, not their starters. I don't know how much you can take from it, but the 16 points to, to 22 for the Eagles. I, I don't think is a true um, a true kind of scoreline in terms of how the game actually went. Uh, I think the Giants kind of had some garbage time points there in the fourth quarter. Uh, And it's tough to say because we don't really know, you know, how much the Eagles were really going for it. Uh, It's the NFL. There's so much uh, parity. So any team can really beat any team. Uh, But I I think there's a chance. I just think it's a tough draw for the Giants at this point where their roster is. I think it's just a a talent issue.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Before before I kick it back to you, Alex, you mentioned something there with the starters being in the offense. So I just wanted to ask you, you know, we did see one starter on offense for the Giants for the majority of it. We had the backups in, but Evan Neal played the whole game and he pretty much got wrecked as he has in <laughs> most of the games this Hassan season. Hassan Reddick. Yeah, Hassan Reddick's been nasty this year, but now Giants, Vikings, D'Aniel Hunter. They've got some good guys on that defensive line. Are you, are you like scared shitless about Evan Neal going into the postseason? Because I'm starting to get really nervous about this rookie going in there.
1: Yeah, it's not a good draw against one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Like you have Daniel Hunter on one side. All right. He's a freak when he's healthy. And then you have Zadarius Smith, who's been, you know, a fantastic NFL player for the past half decade. It's really not a great situation. Uh, and he's been, been shaky. He's been great as a run blocker. I think we definitely agree. But pass protection has been a completely different ball game. I think the one benefit the Giants have is that Evan Neal has seen these pass rushers uh, fairly recently, and you know they're going to know what he, he's going to know what they're going to throw at him in terms of counter moves and and all that. So I do think he's going to perform a little bit better. We know the Vikings' defense is horrific in the back end, and they're going to be exposed. Um, as Daniel Jones had a fantastic game against them, and that's been the case for you know the Vikings all year. They have not been able to defend the pass. So as long as Evan Neal can give us a little bit more time, I think Daniel Jones is going to be successful again. And I think the Giants offense is going to score, you know, above 25 points.
0: I mean, that would be ideal, <laughs> definitely. But like, going back to what you said about the Eagles, I think it really dep- depends on like what version of Jalen Hurts shows up that day. Um, either he's going to destroy you because, you know, he's gotten much better as a pass this year. Obviously, he's dangerous on the ground. Um, if our linebackers step up, Gerard Davis, that guy we plucked off the Detroit Lions practice squad, had a hell of a game. I would not be surprised if he got some reps in the postseason because right now you're looking at Micah McFadden, who played okay, looking at Jalen Smith, who didn't really get much opportunity, and then Landon Collins. But Davis is a physical run-stopping linebacker. I would be curious to see if they gave him an opportunity to get some reps. Um, Dable said, you know, we really liked what we saw from him, and our linebacker core is extremely thin. So maybe they give him an opportunity. We'll see what happens there. But against Minnesota, um, like you said, really good pass rush. And when it comes to Daniel Jones, I wonder, like, you saw what he did against the Colts, and that was – the first time I think the Giants really used him on the ground as as prominently as they had probably since early in the season. Um, after that ankle injury, they really kind of laid off the gas when it came to running the football, and they picked it up a lot against the Colts. Obviously, the two rushing touchdowns, they were really getting him involved in that facet. Um, I wonder against the Vikings if they try to do something similar. Do you think they kind of you know, mesh that passing and then, you know, the, the Vikings have the 30th ranked passing defense when it comes to yards allowed per game. So they have a terrible secondary Patrick Peterson, obviously on the back end of his career, you know, Isaiah Hodgins got his number a couple times aside from the interception. When you're looking at Daniel Jones, how do you think they strategize to beat the Vikings down? Do you think they use him on the ground a lot? Or do you think they're really just attacking them to the air and
1: then setting the tone on the ground with Saquon? Yeah. You know, I'd like to think they have a similar strategy to what I would say worked overall against Minnesota. Uh, I think it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be trying to get Saquon going and see if that works. And, and if not, you can, you can work in read option. You can work in some quarterback runs. I think what is so awesome about actually resting the starters, unlike Brandon Staley of the chargers, you got Daniel Jones, another week plus to recover and be out there ready to go for the biggest game that we've seen as giants fans since 2016. So, I think resting the starters was huge. I think Daniel Jones is going to be as healthy as we've seen in this latter half of the season. You know, I'm excited about it. We know what he can do on the ground. And uh, I think facing a team that is also extremely susceptible to getting beat through the air, the Giants really, in theory, have a recipe for success here in kind of any way they want. But, you know, that's why they play the games. We'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, and you, you mentioned Daniel Jones there and how this is such an important game for the franchise and for the fan base, right? Since 2016, the Giants have been on a playoff drought. But if you think back to Eli Manning's career, and I, I hate to do this too much, but you think back to Eli, his fourth season of his career, that was the year that he won the Super Bowl for the Giants, established himself as a franchise quarterback. History tends to repeat itself sometimes for the Giants. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but Daniel Jones getting the Giants to this point in the postseason, and now we're seeing reports that he's negotiating a new contract with the team. How important is this postseason run in your eyes? And when we when we talk about the Giants having the third most cap space going into this offseason, we know that they got to pay Daniel Jones and they're already working on that deal. But they also got to pay Saquon. They also got to pay Dexter Lawrence. They got a lot of money to spend on in-house talent, which is great because it's been a while since we've been able to say that for the Giants. But that Daniel Jones contract is going to be a point of controversy. What's the maximum that you're paying Daniel Jones? I know shaky career. And the market value for quarterbacks just keeps booming. But what are you paying DJ at this point?
1: Yeah, I, I had an interesting conversation. If you guys know Brett Coleman about this, he is yeah. a very anti Daniel Jones where I feel like I've come along yeah. <laughs> at least a little bit. Brett has some very salient points. I would say he, he, like Daniel Jones, I think we can all agree has taken strides, but he's not, you know, he's probably not looking to being a, you know, a top 10 quarterback in the league at any time soon. We'll see what happens, but you know, to the point of the playoff run, we've seen improbable quarterbacks make incredible playoff runs. Joe Flacco comes to mind as maybe the best playoff run in NFL history from a quarterback. And it's Joe Flacco. Like, he was a fine player, but nothing exceptional. Eli Manning, who was, again, like a fine plus player, like, you know, borderline Hall of Fame because of what he did in the playoffs. So, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting situation. You talk about a contract year, players playing up, like, I know Alex, a big uh, Yankees guy, big, uh, Aaron judge guy, look what he did in the contract year. So, you know, Daniel Jones, if ever there was a time you want to earn some more money, it's this playoff run and, and show us what you can do. And as far as commitment financially, I think I put out a tweet, maybe two years, 50, or I could see three years, 70, something along those lines. It sounds like such an extreme amount of money, but it's for the quarterback position. And it's not cheap. If you want a starter, They're going to get paid significantly, and that's just the world we live in at this point. It's going to get expensive if you're going to retain him. At the same time, I don't know what the alternative is. Are you going to draft somebody down the board? I don't know. know, I love Anthony Richardson, but he has his problems, and he's only been a one-year starter in Florida. I feel like that's the name. Everyone connects to the Giants down the board. Will he even be available? Are you really going to trade up for an unproven guy like that, where you have a guy who's at least – an acceptable starter in Daniel Jones. I don't know. It's, it's a tough spot. I think Jones is going to get retained. I think probably three years, 75, something like that.
0: Yep. That was exactly my guess that I tweeted out like two weeks ago. I was like, cause that, that seems reasonable, right? Like 20, I think it was what? $25 million a year for three seasons and give it like mostly guaranteed. Obviously I feel like that's, like reasonable, because as you said, there are limitations for DJ, but I will say he's gotten a lot better in some key variables, some key factors that were weaknesses, notably, Um, you know, his pocket presence has improved almost just drastically. He looks comfortable for the first time in his career. His ability to throw on the run has improved. Um, Now the, the thing I think that you hit on that is the big concern is they've built a scheme that fits him. You know, they've built a scheme that makes him look better than he is potentially, but I feel like that's what good, offensive coordinators do you know they build around the players that may have weaknesses but the problem is what does Daniel Jones look like as a pocket passer we haven't really seen that you know what I mean like we've seen him in the boot, the bootlegs we've seen him in the rollouts and the play action and they've done a lot of things to hide the weaknesses on the offensive line but I will say this that when we did see Daniel Jones against New Orleans last year and we did see him against the Colts this year throwing the football and running the football kind of equally he was very effective um I'll ask you this when they do take this step forward, the offensive line conceivably gets better. Do you think Daniel Jones can be a good guy, a good quarterback that just stands in the pocket and slings the rock? Do you think he can be that type of quarterback? Or do you think he has to be in a system that gets him out on the run, gets him on the move and play action and bootlegs and creates more, um, you know, confusion for defenses so that, you know, they can build upon his strengths and not, you know, just, I guess, try to skirt around his weaknesses all the time.
1: I think when you have a guy like Daniel Jones, who is you know, one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. You don't really have to put him in that pocket passer box. This is a guy who, you know, can do the rollouts and and work off play action because he has the mobility to be able to do so and to extend uh, at times. So I don't think you have to say this is a guy that needs to stand in the pocket and make throws like that. I think we've seen him make throws from the pocket, and he's been accurate sometimes, sometimes not especially down the field. Um, but it's, he's been so tough to evaluate because he has no, he's had no receivers his entire career pretty much. And the offensive line has been horrific basically the entire time this year might be the best the offensive line has been in years. And there's still a big hole at right tackle. Evan Neal hopefully will grow and, and fix that, but the interior is also terrible. You know, the giants, they just haven't been able to put it all together going into this off season, You could feasibly see the Giants replacing left guard center and right guard with how bad Mark Lewinsky's been for expectations. So it's been so tough to evaluate Daniel Jones. I don't really know what we can expect from him. We'll just have to wait and see.
2: Yeah. One player we've touched on quite a bit in this episode is Evan Neal, but let's talk about the other first round pick cave Thibodeau, because he's kind of burst on the scene in recent weeks. Now burst on with a little bit of controversy in recent weeks, but he's playing some good football and I think that there's a lot of excitement there with what he's able to do on the edge. He's got Aziz Ojalari on the opposite side. And of course, Dexter Lawrence having the breakout season that he's having is obviously a huge help for any edge rusher to have a great pass rusher on the interior as well. But when you look at Kayvon Thibodeau, what's his ceiling to you? Is he, you know, does he have the potential to be that 10 plus sack per year pass rusher? Or is he more one of those guys that gets a lot of pressures, but maybe doesn't complete the play with sacks and just kind of makes an impact down the stretch in big games?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's tough with sacks. We saw Kyler Fackrell put up 10-plus when you're with the Packers, right. right? So, I don't know. I think sacks are kind of overblown. I'm, I'm more about, you know, getting the pressure and having the other guys who are able to finish the play sometimes. And we've seen Dexter Lawrence be a monster at that this year, pushing back the pocket and then having, you know, maybe somebody come in, finish off the edge. Uh, Aziz is a beast when healthy. We know that. So, you really like Kayvon's potential because of that, because you have, you know more resources dedicated to defending that other side. Uh, Thibodeau's a monster. We saw it at Oregon. You know, the sack production was pretty good there, all things considered, when he was the only guy you had to worry about uh, in that Oregon pass rush. Thibodeau's coming on because he's an elite prospect, plain and simple. He could have been the number one overall pick very easily. I don't think anyone would have batted an eye. Uh, Thibodeau's a beast. Is he ever going to be, you know, in that Miles Garrett tier of pass rushers? Maybe not, but next step down, I think I think he would be one of the best in the league. And I think he'd be hard pressed to find someone who's going to disagree with that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. And you know, there's a variable that I think it kind of goes by the wayside when people think about, oh, you know, Kevon Thibodeau hasn't lived up to expectations when it comes to the sack number. But I feel like people forget about the impact he has in the fourth quarter sometimes and the plays he's made in clutch situations. That clutch variable. Um, you know, they call him the closer. I guess I don't know who came up with that name. Maybe he did, but it's <laughs> kind of cool. Like yeah, it does sound like him. But it's kind of cool that he's been able to come up in big moments. You know, notably against the Ravens when Lamar Jackson fumbled that ball. You know, he, that strip sack he had. That's a that's a closing moment. That that you know he got in Aaron Rodgers' face and hits him off the face mask on third down, forces a crucial fourth down. They end up turning it over. And then a couple weeks ago against Washington, he stopped um, Heineke at the at the one yard line. And that play ended up turning the ball over, and the Giants get the ball and win the game. You know what I mean? Like those those small plays, the clutch variable that a lot of people forget about is arguably more important than sacks. You know, I'd rather have those moments than a random sack in the first quarter. Do I love those? Absolutely. I think he's been able to produce um, extraordinarily well uh, in multiple categories. But there's not a lot of stats that that specifically talk about the clutch factor and what he's been able to do in those big moments. And those have to be weighed differently than other, you know, maybe low leverage moments, for example. Um, So, you know, I I guess what I'm asking is when you're looking at him as a clutch factor, a clutch player, how important is it that he shows that in the postseason? Do you think that's going to be the difference maker for the Giants is those big defensive plays like guys like Kayvon Thibodeau can curate um, what it matters most?
1: It's definitely a great point. I mean, you hit on every note there with Thibodeau. The guys that make plays when you need to have them uh, are going to shine the brightest. And, you know, Thibodeau has shown that this year. Is it great when we see him completely bulldozed through the left tackle for a strip sack and then picking it up for a touchdown? Yeah, those are plays that win you the game too. But when you've got to have it late in the game, you know, he's been there. So are the Giants even in the playoffs right now without Kayvon Thibodeau? I don't know. I don't know if they are because you could point to maybe two or three wins as a direct result of Thibodeau being on the field. So he's a difference maker. Uh, phenomenal pick at number five to this point, so uh, I'm stoked about it. And yeah, I I hope he really shines on the national stage here coming up. Hopefully, the
2: Giants we can see him for a couple games at least. Yeah, that's the hope, and I think that's a really good point. You know, he, he's he's actually won the Giants a few games in some ways, and I think that there is an opportunity if you're looking ahead to this Vikings matchup. They they're pretty banged up on the offensive line. Right tackle done for the year. Center is also unlikely to pay uh, play in this game, so that's a good matchup for Dexter Lawrence. But for the Vikings offense, a huge part of that is, of course, Justin Jefferson. He's been the best wide receiver in the NFL this year. Now, the last time the Giants faced the Vikings, Kirk Cousins aired the ball out. Justin Jefferson had a big game, but the Giants were down a couple players in the secondary. Xavier McKinney is back, and hopefully Adoree Jackson will be back this week too. In your eyes, what is the impact of Adoree Jackson if he does reenter the lineup for this wildcard game? How big is that for the Giants defense, and what does that mean for their ability to slow down Justin Jefferson? Yeah, we don't know how
1: healthy he would be, but, I mean, Adore Jackson is at least twice as good as any other corner the Giants have put out in the past, you know, five weeks. It's been brutal. Uh, Maybe don't have him return punts anymore, I think is probably a a good idea. Adore is a beast. Justin Jefferson is, you know, basically as good as any receiver you're going to see in the NFL to this point. Uh, So it's a tough matchup for any corner, no matter how good they are. But, yeah, I like the Giants' chances a whole lot more with even a banged-up Adore Jackson rather than uh, any number of the practice squad corners they've thrown out there recently. It's it's not been great. It's not been great.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because the Giants played Nick McLeod, who's been starting recently, um, a lot in this past game. So I wonder if that is kind of a, a precursor or an anticipatory thing that they expect Adore Jackson to be available because otherwise... Why not have anybody else like Zion Gilbert play cornerback? Like, why would you have Nick McLeod who's been starting recently? Whereas everybody else was sitting. Um, Maybe they felt he needed the reps. Maybe they felt, you know, for whatever reason, he needs to be on the field. But Cordell Flott also looked pretty good for the record. You know, LSU young guy just turned what, 21 or 22. I mean, he was a stick coming into the league. I think a year, um, you know, developing that size and that frame. He's going to be a solid player for us. I just wonder how long that'll take. I wonder if cornerback will be a priority. I know we still have a Jackson under contract moving forward, but um, I'm excited, man. This is going to be a really fun game. And, you know, obviously you just saw Roquan Smith signed a big deal uh, with the Ravens and the Giants could use some linebacker support. I'll ask you this as, as the final question. Um, when you're looking at this upcoming off season, do you think linebackers, a position the Giants need to prioritize? Maybe looking at a guy like Tremaine Edmonds as a potential free agent target, you know, Buffalo Bill guy, obviously the connections there. Um, do you think that's something they allocate some money toward?
1: Yeah, I think linebacker is one of those positions uh, like running back on offense where it's become almost so undervalued that it's now not valued enough. And as Giants fans, we have talked about a number of different position groups, but we know how long it's been since the Giants have had any semblance of a good linebacking core or even one. Honestly, the Giants really haven't had much of the position, but it can change a defense. And we've seen that for so many different defenses. I mean, Roquan Smith has been phenomenal for the Ravens uh, since they traded for him. It's a really important position, uh, especially when you can get a guy that can cover. And Tremaine Edmonds kind of had a little bit of a rough patch in there uh, for a couple of years, which sounds crazy because he's such a young guy still, has really had a resurgence in 2022. Uh, Great player. The Buffalo connection's a decent point. Um, yeah, it could be something the giants look at for sure. They need to upgrade, you know, Tay Crowder walked away from the team, but he was pretty much replaced anyway. And when Tay Crowder is your best linebacker anyway, you're in rough shape. So yeah, this is something the giants should probably really, really look at in free agency. And I'm sure they will in the draft too, but based on, you know, Joe Shane's draft philosophy from what we've seen. He's a lot about positional value. So is he going to allocate a top end pick towards a linebacker that, you know, or an off-ball linebacker? Not sure that he will. Maybe maybe round three we could see something, and, and there should be good value. Uh, this is good linebacker class. Not like super elite top end. I don't know if we see one sneak into the first, but there's good value there in the second and the third, I think,
2: for sure. Yeah, and so with all that being said, solid game preview of this upcoming game against the Vikings, but... You know, you have the 49ers making it out of the NFC, but you mentioned earlier that you actually had the Giants making it to the second round. So as we look ahead to this game on Sunday, what's your score prediction? You think the Giants come away with a win, and what do you think the score is going to be?
1: I'm going to say Giants 31, Minnesota 27. Wow, Giants topping 30 points. Now that's a rarity. It is. We've seen it, what, one time in the past, you know, several years? So (laughs) yep it is what it is. I think the giants have seen this team before they put up points on them, you know, 24, I think at the first meeting Mm -hmm. to one more touchdown. I'm hoping for it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I think this is where we got to see Daniel Jones kick it into that playoff gear. Like you said before with Eli Manning, you know, just taking advantage of um those big moments. Daniel Jones has got to show up. Kayvon Thibodeau, clutch moments. DJ's gotta lead that drive down the field when it matters most, put points on the board and take advantage of turnovers. If they can put pressure on Kirk Cousins, force a couple turnovers, they gotta convert those into touchdowns and Giants, what, eighth? I think finished eighth in the league in, in red zone conversion. So uh, pretty phenomenal, but we'll see what happens. This team has definitely got some momentum, and I'm excited about it. But, Bengal, appreciate you coming on the channel today. Um, had a great time, really great discussions. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode as always. Make sure to like and subscribe. And we'll catch you guys on the next Fireside Giants episode.